Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Douglas. And we are rounding up the Trilogy of Slime here. We have uh, we started off with an episode titled Trilogy of Slime, where we talk about the, natures of, the nature of slime in organisms and all the important roles that it serves. Then we uh, did a little Valentine's special about the sex life of slugs, which is also very slimy, uh, but also a little stabby. And then finally, we are discussing the slime mold, which is... Uh, Taking it in a in a different direction, uh, but a really really deceptively mind blowing direction. Because when you just talk about uh, the word mold itself, is kind of boring. Mold is something that grows somewhere that you don't think about. You know, it's like it's, it's that's the stuff that grows in the tub. It grows in the corner. Grows under the house, maybe. And the less you think about it, the better. Yeah, um, but uh, slime mold is actually something that is helping us to redefine. Intelligence. Yes. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Um, but when we talk about slime mold and we say mold, we actually are not talking about any sort of fungus here. Right. Uh, we're talking about, uh, mainly when we talk about slime mold, is something called Physarum polycephalum. And that, that name actually means many-headed slime mold. Slime is not, uh, slime mold is not a plant or an animal. It's not a fungus. Though it sometimes resembles one structurally. Yeah, it's a single, single-celled creature. Brainless. Brainless. No, no brain, and that's important here. No nervous system to speak of, and yet, its intelligence is what fascinates us. Yeah. I mean, it ultimately makes us really think hard and deep about what intelligence is and what it can be, especially when we're trying to think about what what life could be like elsewhere in the in the universe. Um, and when you say in the universe, you should consider that uh, these guys go back in evolutionary history, history about a billion years. And according to Dr. Baldoff, who is a Swedish biologist studying the DNA of slime mold species, she says that they might be tightly linked to the development of soil on land, which is very cool wow. to think about when you think about slime mold. Yeah, it's kind of tricky to, to, to really look at our history with slime mold because it's not something that really lends itself well to the fossil record. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we do know that there are 900 known species of slime mold, but there are really only about two that are studied in earnest. Slime molds live in moist terrestrial habitats like decaying wood or fresh cow dung. Nice. And uh, once the mold has found food, such as a piece of decaying vegetation or a microorganism, it grows over it and it secretes digestive enzymes. So something like polycephalum then constructs an elaborate network of interconnections between food sources, which allow it to shuttle nutrients around and get the full form of the organism fully fed. Um, slime molds then devour many parts of the bacteria, and then this releases those nutrients for other organisms to grow on. So it's a huge part of the ecosystem. So what does it look like? Um, it does not really so much look like slime, per se. Like, it doesn't look like a Nickelodeon bucket of slime falling on someone's head. It, it has more of a yellowy consistency to it. It doesn't particularly look uh, viscous. Yeah, a lot of people have likened it to dog vomit. Um, Lovely. That's a mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the usual thing that people spot. Um, but it actually comes in nearly every color of the rainbow except green because it lacks chlorophyll. Um, some resemble honeycomb lattice structures. Others kind of look like blackberry configurations. 
Um, and then, of course, there's the dog vomit, which is the classic thing. Um, some remain microscopic to the eye, but others grow large, and they can form bulbous masses as long as 10 to 13 feet long. So in, in a second, we're going we're gonna to get into the idea of what happens when you put slime mold in a maze. But, uh, but imagine you have a slime mold working its way down a corridor. Mm-hmm. And what happens when it encounters another slime mold coming down the corridor from the opposite direction? You're probably wondering, do they, do they fight each other? Do they, uh, is there a war of slime mold that takes place here? Well, if food is scarce, this, what's interesting is they do essentially team up into a, like a single communicating mass. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, this is from a New York Times article. Can answers to evolution be found in slime mold? Yeah, the organisms do respond to starvation by rushing together by the thousands into a single blob. And the blob stretches out into a slug-shaped mass about one millimeter long, which is about one twenty-fifth of an inch. And then it begins to crawl along like a worm toward light. Wow, like a, like a caravan of slime, really. Yep, yeah. yep. And then once it reaches the surface, surface of the soil, the slug, this, the slug configuration undergoes another transformation. Some of the cells turn into a stiff stalk while the others crawl to the top and form a sticky ball of spores. And they stick to the foot of an animal and travel to a hospitable place. So inside the slug, and this again is according to the article, about 1% of the amoebas turn into police. This is Whoa. really cool. They crawl through the slug in search of infectious bacteria. And then they uh, they vanquish it, really. They find this pathogen and they devour it. And then these sentinels drop away from this slug configuration of slime mold, taking the pathogen with it. And then they die of the infection while the slug itself remains healthy. The colony of it remains wow. healthy. So um, this is so amazing to me. This is all going on at this microscopic level. Yeah. This, this These acts of altruism, really. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will enter the maze with the slime mold and discuss exactly how it finds its way out. All right, we're back. So, the maze. We uh, we did a whole episode on mazes, and we discussed you know, what they are and what they symbolize for us humans. Essentially, you're talking about uh, a winding, confusing pathway, corridors that end in dead ends, while other corridors take you uh, ever closer to freedom. Mm-hmm. So we uh, often use these in, in science experiments. Put a mouse inside of a maze, see what happens when it gets stressed out, see if it can find its way out. Uh, what happens when you put a slime mold into a maze is really fascinating. Because now, for one thing, you do have to sort of, um, you have to create a situation where the slime mold quote-unquote, wants out. The slime mold wants to find its way to food. So mm-hmm. that becomes the, the idea here. Um, if, uh, for a dead end to be a true dead end, it needs to not have something that the slime mold can eat at the end of it, whereas a dead end with food at the end of it is essentially kind of an exit. So they found that if you put, uh, researchers have found that if you put a slime mold inside of this maze, it will start off by mapping its environment out. It will send out these, uh, these tendrils. And they will follow every course in the maze to its end. And if they find a true dead end where everything just ends and there's no food there, then it will retract. But it will leave a trail of slime Mm -hmm. that kind of works as an external memory of where it has been. And that is a a, a hallway that it need not go down again because there's no food down there. And then it will concentrate its efforts on the, uh, the pathways that do lead to food. 
Yeah, it's really cool. As you say, it's like this externalized spatial memory. Yeah. And, um, and again, no brain. This yeah. creature does not have a brain. It is not intelligent in the larger sense of the word, but it is using a certain amount of, of map-making intelligence. Here. It's using that chemical scent to figure out where it's been and then not expend the effort on searches that won't pay off, right? right. So it's saying, I've been down that hallway. There's no, no reason I need to redouble my efforts on this. Another cool thing is that uh, the Fisarum slime mold uh, sends these tendrils of protoplasm out to search for food and it's but but it's not just a hey wholesale everybody find food mm-hmm. uh, what they do is they say okay this one over here to the left has found some food these guys over here on the right have not all right everybody reconfigure and now let's bolster our efforts to that food to the left so they reorganize themselves to then sort of go in and effectively cover that food spectrum that they did find which is mm-hmm. amazing so not only are they making sure that they're not going into areas they've already been but when they do find food they're able to to uh sort of say all right troops here we go we're we're now going to concentrate on this all right all of this is really amazing when you look at it in the context of engineering problems that we humans try to solve every single day. Yeah, particularly, um, it's, it's interesting when you take the slime mold and you put it over a major city, and then you distribute the food in a way that resembles uh, major population points, major po- points of interest, places that you would need, say, a public transportation system to reach. Mm-hmm. So if it were a map of Atlanta, for instance, you would have like central uh, Atlanta, midtown, you'd have the Buckhead area where we are, and, and uh, various other important places. Um, well, several of those um, those places are probably not even reached by uh, public transportation down here uh, as far as the train goes, but that's a whole other story. Uh, but you put the slime mold in there, and you let it uh, figure out the best ways to get to its uh, food sources. And uh, researchers have found that the paths that the slime mold creates are comparable to the major public transportation systems in those cities. You know, we've seen this again and again. It's not just, oh, hey, there's just one set of researchers doing this. But I think the standout in this is the Tokyo Railway System. Yes. Um, it's a two thousand, excuse me, in 2010, mathematical biologist Toshiyuki Nagaaki and his colleagues ob- observed how this networking behavior could translate into efficient city planning. So they drew a map of Japan. They put oat flakes on the map to represent cities. Mm-hmm. And then they let the Fisarum loose on the area that represented Tokyo. Okay, so key to this is that there are obviously going to be obstacles in city planning, like waterways. Right. That you can't, yeah. you have to make sure that you don't try to transverse. Long-standing buildings and areas that you're just not going to bulldoze to build your system. Right. So uh, what they did is they took bright lights in these areas, and uh, which slime molds will avoid. They do not like. And so those represented those areas that they knew that you couldn't do any sort of public transportation around. And then what bloomed in front of the researcher was a Fisarum network that produced interconnections just that were strikingly similar to the layout of the Tokyo railway system. And um, in the ways that they differed from the, the actual Tokyo railway system, it turns out that their methods of, of reaching uh, net, networked um, places was much more effective that w- than what was already in place. So what we're saying here is that slime molds are solving engineering problems. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. This is stuff that we spend a lot of time on. This is These are computer programs. These are, this modeling that's going on, and you just let a slime mold loose, and, and they and can will, help. Yeah, it'll equal or exceed human uh, um, uh, 
uh, production on those uh, those same trade routes uh, yeah. or same public transportation routes. Because another one that I ran across was, was they were actually able to get a, a facerum to um, to reproduce the uh, the Silk Road uh, right. and various other global trading routes. Put it on a, a map of the Earth, mm-hmm. and you'll see. Oh, it's, well, there's the Silk Road right there. It's thinking along the same lines as uh, as, as as humans did when they were trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B in the most effective manner possible. Right, and when they took that globe too, they they configured it so that again there were certain places that the mold couldn't right. uh, yeah. try to transverse because of the configuration of, um, of the continents of the continents yeah. at that time. And so they tried to repro- reproduce that, and that is amazing that yeah. the Silk Road came up. It popped up. Um, another example I think is really cool is uh, this is by Andrew Adamatsky, and he's a researcher at the University of West England. Mm-hmm. He wanted to figure out what would happen in a nuclear disaster. In other words, um, if a reactor melted down, what would be the best course of action for citizens to flee from it? So... He took those acellular modes that um, that are used for highway-like patterns, and they grew a slime mold network of highways for Canada. And then they placed a crystal of salt, which repels slime molds on the map where the Bruce Nuclear Power Plant is located in Canada. And then what they found is that the slime mold abandoned its tendrils near the salt and then grew a new highway pattern that efficiently rerouted food across Canada and also showed different paths that you could leave, obviously, this area. So it, it sheds some sort of light on what can happen in disaster situations. Yeah, that's, it's just amazing to think about slime mold as, as, uh, as being capable of doing this. Um, and, and again, it ultimately makes us rethink what intelligence is um, as, as we, uh, we look at possible you know, models for uh, extraterrestrial life. Yeah, Adam Rogers, he's a senior editor at Wired. He has a really interesting riff on this. So if you want to see his video, check that out on Wired.com. I believe the column is Observation Deck, Intelligent Slime Molds. And the applications here with slime molds, I mean, aside from possible computing scenarios, uh, uh, or in addition to, uh, there are biophysicists in Germany and Singapore who think that the mathematical models uh, that they're working on based on slime mold behavior might lead to new ways to starve tumors uh, of blood and essentially to uh, fight cancer. Yeah, which is because what they found is that, again, there's this mathematical similarity in mm-hmm. the ways that a tumor tries to gain nutrients from the body and the way that slime mold grows. Yeah. So taking those those two um, examples, in, they can actually try to figure out ways that they could try to starve that tumor, as you said. Yeah. I mean, it all comes down, I think, to... The idea you, you think about okay what is what is mathematics what is our what is our spatial understanding what is what is the the ability to create a map on a piece of paper uh, as a as an intelligent human like it all comes down to our ability to navigate the physical world um, it's just kind of a an, an, an ability that has grown uh, ever more robust uh, with the passage of time with our evolution and then with our, our the building of our culture but at, at its at the very like base level. Something even without a brain has to be able to do this to some level, and the and the, the slime mold uh, does a fantastic job. So, if you ever find yourself lost wandering about, yes. think about carry this, a slime uh, mold with you. Yeah, think about this Spicerum polycephalum, and, and take uh, take heart in saying that this uh, this organism that goes back a billion years can find a way, and so too can you.
All right. Uh, well, there's Slime Mold for you, and that finishes out our three episodes on Slime. If you missed uh, any of the other two, do check them out. Uh, there's a lot of cool data in there, and it really really made me rethink what Slime is. And really, I, I, as I mentioned before, I'm a longtime fan of Slime. Uh, loved slimy monsters, slimy things, even as I hated slugs. And uh, and there's just so much more there, uh, not only understanding how slime works, but but slugs as well. I mean, they're, I think, to slug-like monsters that have appeared in various uh, forms of fiction. And even ones where they, they do a pretty good job of making the, the creature monstrous. Like, they really don't dive into all of the just weird and fascinating biology of a slug. So... Just putting that out there. Are there any potential filmmakers and fiction weavers uh, in the audience? Uh, well, let's call the robot over and do one quick listener mail. This one comes to us from Catherine, and she has a book recommendation for us. She says, Robert and Julie, your most recent podcast made me think of one of my favorite books by my favorite author. For a great book about pretending to be someone you're not, I recommend Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut. The main character is an American playwright who has spent most of his life in Germany. As an adult during World War II, he was recruited by the U.S. government to help transmit messages to the Allies. He does this via code inserted into his Nazi propaganda radio show. He is so good at pretending to be a Nazi that he is respected as a leader within the Nazi party. He also managed to get on the list of wanted war criminals. The problem is that he entered this knowing that the U.S. would never recognize his work, nor would they come to his defense. So, really, the only people invested in keeping him alive are the Nazis a group he does not truly want to be a part of. There's a movie uh, made of the, the book starring Nick Nolte. Read the book. Thanks, as always, for the <laughs> entertainment and education. I hate the term edutainment. Yeah, I don't think we really use ed- edutainment either. But. It's got a, a bit of a musty ring to it. Yeah. But we get the idea, but we're, we're glad that um, we're providing some interesting tidbits for you guys. That's an awesome book recommendation, something I definitely want to follow up on. Yeah, I've, uh, I've only read a couple of Vonnegut stories. I read Slaughterhouse-Five and uh, The Sirens of Titan. Good Hi. stuff. Yeah. Especially Slaughterhouse-Five, one of my all-time favorites. So, hey, if you want to reach out to us, you want to share some stuff with us, you want to see what we're up to, what we're blogging about, what links we're looking at, maybe get an idea of what future episodes will uh, consist of, then you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on both of those. You can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is Blow the Mind. And you can also drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.